I want to challenge you. 2022 was supposed to be my year to up my YouTube game, and it really hasn't been. But that's why I went to Vid Summit, and that's why I am absolutely bullish on YouTube. YouTube currently has 38 million active channels. Of those 38 million, only 2 million have been invited to the YouTube Partner Program, meaning they have over 1,000 subscribers and 40,000 watch hours over the last 365 days. In other words, there is plenty of opportunity for all of us. And you know what? 29% of American kids want to be a YouTube star. You don't have to be a YouTube star to take advantage of what YouTube can offer your business. So I'm going to go deep into what I learned at Vid Summit in this next episode of the Your Digital Marketing Coach podcast. Digital, social media, content influencer, marketing, blogging, podcasting, vlogging, TikToking, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, SEO, SEM, PPC, email marketing. Whew. There's a lot to cover. Whether you're a marketing professional, entrepreneur, or business owner, you need someone you can rely on for expert advice. Good thing you've got Neil on your side. Because Neil Schaefer is your, your digital, digital marketing, marketing coach. coach. Helping you grow your business with digital first marketing, one episode at a time. This is your digital marketing coach, and this is Neil Schaefer. Hey, everybody. Neil Schaefer here. I am your digital marketing coach, and welcome to my podcast. YouTube, YouTube, YouTube. When I break down digital marketing for my clients and whenever I speak, I go over search social email, right? YouTube really never gets mentioned in social media, but as a search engine, it is absolutely powerful. And it is a different search engine than Google. There are many that take an SEO approach to YouTube. I have been one of them. But what YouTube tends to recommend in its algorithm is not really based on the same SEO that Google bases its rankings on. It's based on customer satisfaction. Although we could say the same thing about Google, but YouTube really is about our people actually consuming your video. How much of your video are they consuming? Are they watching another video of yours after they watch one video? You get the picture. YouTube is a completely different beast, but there is plenty of opportunity for all of us to take advantage of it. And look, you know, we all know we need video as part of our strategy in marketing, whether it is video for a Facebook or LinkedIn, or it is more of short form video for TikTok, Instagram, or YouTube shorts, or it's long form video for YouTube. We all need to do video. So that's why I was really excited for the first time to go to Vid Summit, which is an annual. It's really for YouTube creators, obviously businesses, can take advantage of the information as well, but really a YouTubers for YouTuber type of conference. But I was really, really blown away by the information. You know, in digital, we go to a lot of conferences and there's a lot of people and businesses who go up on stage, a lot of so, you know, quote unquote experts, quote unquote gurus that share lots of information. But I have not found a crowd as transparent as the crowded vid summit and the community of YouTubers they have built there that really show what they learned based on their own experiences, their own screenshots of their own analytics. 
It was really empowering. It made them look even more of experts compared to experts I've seen at other conferences. And yeah, I, I can't wait to dig into today's episode. You know, it wasn't that long ago. It was just episode number 281, just two months ago, that I talked to Daryl Eves, the author of The YouTube Formula. Funny thing is we never even talked about Vid Summit which is his baby, this conference that he developed, right? So he was one of the speakers, but I want to go over also what I learned from 10 other speakers there. If you enjoyed my content marketing world takeaways, I think you're going to enjoy this one. That ended up being my longest podcast episode ever at one hour and 10 minutes. Man, if you stayed around for all of that, I salute you. I don't know how long this one's going to be, but there's a lot to go through, a lot of really, really great tactical advice, actionable advice, So let's dig right in. Okay, so the 11 takeaways, similar to my content marketing world takeaways episode, which was episode number 286, just two episodes ago, I'm going to go sort of session by session that I attended. So this is going to be 11 sessions. I was not a speaker there like I was at content marketing world. So that's why it's not going to be 10 sessions plus my own. It's going to be 11 of others. So the first session was monetization and it featured Luria Petrucci who some of you may know from Geek Beat TV. Her name was Callie Lewis. She now is a live streaming expert. For those of you that might remember, she was one of the other brand ambassadors for All Nippon Airways when I went to Japan. For for those that remember that, that was several years ago. So I've had a chance to meet her in real life. Uh, Stephanie Liu, who works with Agora Pulse, she was also on this panel, as well as Coach Glitter and Harris Heller, who is the founder of Stream Beats. Anyhow... It was basically a primer on different ways to monetize. So less for businesses, more for content creators. And I know that within this audience of this podcast, there are content creators as well, or entrepreneurs that are considering that. So obviously, we have the general things like affiliate marketing. You have Google AdSense. Once you get to join the YouTube Partner Program, 40,000 hours watched in the past year, uh, together with 1,000 subscribers... I'm at 1,000 subscribers. I'm not at 40,000 hours, which is why I haven't been able to do this, but I look forward to it, uh, where YouTube shares their ad revenue with you. I believe it's 55% or 45. It's one of those two. Nearly 50% of the ad revenue, those videos you see during the ads, you get a share of that. And you can imagine if you get lots and lots of views, that amount can add up, especially if you're in the right niche like finance or others where the uh, revenue per minute or uh, revenue per video RPM or revenue per... Uh, Minute watched, video watched gets up there. Obviously, sponsorships are huge. Sponsorships are influencer marketing, right? Collaborations. You also have merch. And YouTube actually has a way to easily enable merch on its platform, which is pretty cool. That's why a lot of content creators on YouTube sell merch. Well, companies could also sell merch, right? You have courses. So a lot of people offer courses. There was a conversation. Well, if you want to create a course... What platform do you create it on? Luria is a big fan of really putting everything on her website, whereas others, like Harris, likes to use a third-party platform. He talked about Skillshare. Tiffany is on Kajabi, and what Harris liked about Skillshare is that there's no headache of building your own you know, course infrastructure, and there's a built-in audience. So for those of you that are looking to create a course, there is some really great advice. You can start with just a weekend workshop three to four hours, private Zoom with five to six people, $67 to $497. They get the recordings, you do a follow-up, you productize the knowledge, and then you create the course. 
Make sense? So start really small. Start with something live and then repurpose that into a course. I actually went to an event once. It was an event for speakers on how to tap into speaking opportunities at professional associations. And there were a number of us who spoke at this event. And the organizer said, hey, I'm creating a course. I'm going to be recording. That course will be available you know, in, in a later day. I hope you're okay with, with me recording. And we all were. And that's an easy way to begin to generate more income from courses. So Stephanie Liu talked about shoppable videos, this concept of doing like an unboxing video on YouTube, but also uploading that to Amazon as a product video and it's showing up on the product pages. This is very common advice. If you're if you're buying a product or a tool, reach out, see if they have an affiliate program. Uh, there was mention of some that actually had them create an affiliate program for you. On the other hand, what are people asking you for and find affiliates for that? So there was a lot of affiliate marketing advice. I believe it was uh, Coach Glitter who said that her first affiliate marketing came from a digital course she took that she decided to become an affiliate for because she could talk about it and it was authentic. There's also this notion of monetization on platforms outside of YouTube, of taking those videos, for instance... Tiffany, Coach Glitter, said that she makes $10,000 on Facebook page monetization. This is in creator funds for Facebook Reels. She merely takes what she does on TikTok, removes the TikTok logos, and puts them on Facebook. Some other advice. Luria was big on JV marketing, authentic relationship marketing. So it's affiliate marketing, but you're really joint venturing with other say, course creators, other CEOs of businesses. Uh, I think in her case, it was really other course creators. She said she can make twenty to $50,000 a week by promoting a JV affiliate offer that fits her market. So think about swapping masterclasses, JVing with other content creators, especially if you have your own course, like anything else in influencer marketing, the more influence you have, the more, or I should say, the easier it's going to be for you to work with other Uh, content creators. On the other hand, if you want to do more with affiliate marketing, educate yourself on the marketing side by being an affiliate for other marketers and seeing how they are successful behind the scenes. So if you've ever taken a course, they may give you the ability to be an affiliate and you can see what sort of swipe files, what sort of images, what sort of uh, recommended postings that these marketers provide you when you become their affiliate. And then sometimes it's, you know, repurposing yourself. Luria said, you know, I believe it was Luria who said, I have a quote here in my notes. What value can you bring to others around you? Focus on yourself, develop yourself. And Luria has been able to add templates to her store. I believe these are templates for uh, background screens, background green screens on StreamYard, if I'm not mistaken. But she's added templates to her store, which lead to $10,000 a month. And then she moved into providing designing studio services for those who want to create a home studio. Some more advice here. And I think this is really empowering advice for all of my entrepreneur listeners. Uh, Tiffany Coach Glitter, and I quote her, your superpower is your weird factor. So lean into that when creating video content, really create a deep relationship with your viewers. And she mentioned that she started her first business at 40 years old. You don't have to be a 20-something. You don't have to be a Gen Z to be successful here. 
And the final message from the group was create a better mousetrap. You don't need to create something new, just create something better. Yeah, I could stop the podcast right here, this episode, and I think there's already great takeaways. That's only one of 11. I'm going to keep going. And if you find that some of these sessions are less appropriate, just skip ahead one or two minutes, and then you'll get to the next session. I really wish like some of these podcast players had chapters, like YouTube has chapters. I would be able to do it in chapters. But anyway, hope you'll stick with me. And even if you think that the session might not be appropriate for your business, I do believe that there are takeaways. So next is Sam Barris. This was about YouTube Shorts. He started on YouTube Shorts in April 2021. 18 months later, he has 3.3 million followers. He asked everyone in the room, how many of you are already using short-form content? 75% of attendees raised their hands. I think that Reels, TikToks, YouTube Shorts is still dominated by content creators. There's still very few businesses that are doing this. And I believe that's, well, it's an opportunity for both of us. Um, But I just, I'm going to keep this one short and sweet, okay? He said, what makes a good short form video? He has his own sort of framework. He called it rice, very easy to remember, repeatable. So in other words, there's very high turnover. So when you find something that works, repeat it to scale. So you want to try to find a format, a formula that once you see it working, you want to keep doing more and more of it. This is pretty obvious. And inclusive is the second one. Inclusive to your defined audience. So does it appeal to the audience you want to grab? Uh, Obviously, there's many ways of making any content. So you want to be true to that audience you're trying to attract. Curious, make it engaging, give them a reason to watch. I'm going to get into a little bit more of that. And then evergreen. YouTube allows videos to last forever, including shorts. Whereas Reels and TikToks, well, TikToks last pretty long as well. Reels, not so sure. But you begin to see that this is a pretty easy to understand formula. And he went a little bit deeper into some of these points. So when asked, how do you construct the video? He brought up three main points. The one second hook. said this is the most important thing. You need to hook your audience at the very beginning. Present the idea. Exercise proper tonality in terms of, are you excited about this or is there suspense? Choose a stimulating visual, use text and use music. Use text because not everyone has the audio on. He believes in using music as another layer to engage with people. So that's why a lot of these videos you see have this background music. So it's more stimulation. He then said after the one second hook, the next 75% of the video is tension building. It's a tension-building narrative. Slowly build up the excitement. Use layering. Try to create multiple storylines in the same video. He uses anime songs to have like cool music that people want to listen to. Try to put your personality in the perspective. He also said, should you get comments, engage in the comments as it pushes up more playtime. Then you want a high-value conclusion. So over-deliver on the promise. And the, the idea is you want to make them watch twice, right? Call to action. I just delivered. So subscribe for more. You know, these are only one minute short form videos is is sort of the template he's using. So it sounds really easy, but what I learned is that YouTube creators are truly investing a lot of time and really thinking through. They're not just pressing video and like, oh, I'm enjoying a nice view today. 
or guess what? They're not just telling a simple story. They're really putting a lot of thought into it. So after you make the video, what's next? Obviously cross post, not just TikTok, Instagram reels, in addition to YouTube shorts, uh, this content creator has actually found some success on Snapchat, believe it or not. When you leverage multiple platforms, if you're a content creator, you can leverage that with multiple sponsors. You can diversify your risk, more monetization opportunities, uh, stay consistent. You can actually schedule posts on YouTube shorts within YouTube, and then obviously study your analytics. One thing that came out today, or I should say at VidSummit, was average view duration was the key stat. In other words, if on YouTube, if on average people go through 20, 30, 40, well, 50% of your video, you're doing really good, right? Well, obviously 50 is better than 20%. But with shorts, you actually want to get to 100%. You want people to see it more than once because they enjoyed seeing it once. They enjoyed seeing it a lot or they want to redo that ending or they want to redo a part of it. So, and if you think about it yourself, those are probably the videos, the short form videos that you've seen more than once. So he put up a screen, what are good shorts analytics for a 30 second video? His good shorts analytics, the average viewer duration was actually 103%. For a 45 second video, 92%. For a 60 second video, 88%. I want you to think about that. That's really, really impressive. These are people that are finding him you know, some are finding him through YouTube search, his click-through ratio on his thumbnails from a 30-second video, 7.5%, 45, 8.9, 69.5. So getting really good click-through rate, but it's the shorts feed that is generating 93, 96, or 91% of his views. So people are just flipping through shorts and they're getting to his video because he's done so well with them. He gets such a high average viewer duration it sends really positive signals to the YouTube algorithm and he gets more and more uh, visibility. So, you know, with YouTube, you have long form content and your short form content gets mixed in. He believes that there's a role that short form content can take, that short form content can increase your subscriber count. It encourages disproportionate growth opportunities because YouTube is really pushing shorts. It offers additional monetization opportunities, if that's important. It increases your overall visibility. And long-form videos are the ones that build loyalty and superfans, provide meaningful uh, ad revenue or meaningful lead generation, um, funnel subscribers to your external ventures. With short-form, it's pretty hard to do, but with long-form, you get them to your website, what have you, and facilitate stronger calls to action. So... Short-form content is important because we've seen the rise of TikTok. It is the future, right? Attention spans are shorter than ever. Average people spend three and a half hours on the phone. 95% of phone sessions are under 10 minutes. People are just not going to consume that many long-form videos when they're on your phone. So does this translate to YouTube? 57% of total views on YouTube came from shorts in 2022 so far. That is up from 21% in 2021. 60% of YouTube users watch shorts. So if you want to engage with YouTube users, you need to obviously create shorts. And he also pointed out that the demand of YouTube shorts is outpacing the supply. Views are going faster than new uploads. Now, YouTube has announced a 45% ad revenue split with creators on YouTube shorts starting in 2023 as well. So all signs are pointing to 
more opportunities for YouTube shorts, more competition, but the opportunities outweigh them. So things to think about. This was really a evangelizing YouTube shorts while also giving you some advice on how to create better ones. So, you know, I attended more than 11 sessions. This was a two-day event, but I am going to fast forward through some. I only really want to give you the best ones. So next we had Daryl Eves, who the author of the YouTube formula, listen to episode 281, and he went deep into not just creating a YouTube strategy based on demographics, but he went deep into psychographics. In fact, he brought up Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, how does this apply to your YouTube channel? Well, for Daryl, the success of YouTube channels he's done, he was behind The Chosen, which is a, a YouTube television show or a TV show that was done over YouTube. He's had over 100 million views on The Chosen in two years, 25 million app downloads. He's all about create a movement that passionate people share. And, you know, he wanted to remind people that YouTube only has two goals, predict what the user wants, and then looking at engagement and customer satisfaction of your video. The YouTube has paid creators, well, my notes say $50 billion. That's probably $50 million over the last two years, um, but it's all about the viewer. So you need to focus on, on the viewer and you need to create a profile of your viewer to create content for them, but focus on the psychographics, looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And what Daryl really honed in on, so if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it starts with physiological needs, safety needs, and then you move up to love and belonging, a sense of connection, right? And this is where uh, he went really deep. In fact, with, with love and connection, he went into the psychological needs, right? Caring, the passion, connections, collaborations. So for some, it's the prestige of feeling accomplished. That if you pay money, you'll get your name in a video. If You'll get a verbal thank you. You'll get a tattoo. You'll be in a leaderboard. It's doing things like this with your community that can satisfy the need of belonging, the psychological needs that your users have. And really, it's about how can I make a viewer loyal to want to watch every video? So he starts with, uh, and he calls it the four C's, caring connections, collaboration, community. He brings up the example, Ryan Trahan, who actually was the keynote on the first day, who started with a penny and got to a million dollars. Um, for Feed America, I believe was the nonprofit. Caring, the passion, wants to help end hunger in America, starting with one set. The connections, a daily journey for 30 days, right? Ser uh, episodic content. Collaboration, nonprofits, Feed America, but also other YouTube creators. Community, outside of YouTube, he created this big community on Reddit. So those are the four C's. There's more you can do here. He also tapped into the esteem, right? Uh, the awards of people that gave a lot of money, pins, names and videos, verbal th thank yous, ended up raising $1.42 million and people are still donating today from that June campaign. Now, you may be thinking, well, that's a nonprofit, right? 
you know, how could my business or how could another type of content do well? Well, Daryl is a co-owner of Matt's Off-Road Recovery. This is a channel with 1.27 million subscribers and 500 million video views. Every quarter, they do what he calls a 4C project. They get viewers to help change the world, community projects. And what's really interesting is that, you know, companies invest in CSR, corporate social responsibility. Companies sponsor and collaborate with nonprofits, but it's just a matter of taking it in a content creation perspective, YouTube, and creating this sense of community that people want to become part of it. So what Daryl goes on to say is, well, how do you create a movement with your videos? He said, it's all about inclusion. Include your community, right? There was one video where he pushed a t-shirt that everybody wanted to buy. Everybody wanted to be part of it. And that one push made $350,000 in 24 hours. When they pushed the product in a live stream, it made $535,000. So obviously you need a massive community in order to do this, but you need to find ways to tap into the four C's and make content and community that's inclusive. Engage your community to get the data. Daryl is really passionate on you need to own your own data. So if you really want to own your data, you need and create data You need to have a deeper relationship with your viewers off of YouTube. And that's where creating a membership community off of YouTube to truly own the data makes sense. Obviously, Discord is popular for most YouTubers. This is something that businesses, uh, I am an Adobe brand ambassador and Adobe has their own Discord channel for influencers, for instance. So look at the psychographics. How can you give back and create the four C's? Take your viewers on a journey and include them was the final advice. I know that sounds a little esoteric, but I do believe that there are points there that we can all tap into and leverage YouTube or make these four C's projects part of our YouTube presence. Maybe it's not every quarter, maybe it's once a year, but we can do that. And in doing so, we're going to build up a larger and more loyal channel. Okay, so the next presentation I want to share with you. We're on number four is Patty Galloway. Really smart guy who wants us to innovate. And in order to innovate on our content, he wants us to look internally at our data and externally by finding overperforming ideas on other channels. So look at your data, but also consume other content. This is advice I often give out of my Digital First Mastermind community. You and, and I'm going to bring it up. Another speaker said, don't go to university, just consume YouTube all day and you'll be better at this than, than a college graduate, right? You don't really get equipped for learning about how to do this is really immerse yourself in videos that are targeting a similar audience. It could be competitors. It could be a broader category. And then the innovation comes from, can I think of something new? Is there something different that I can do here? And then obviously there's additional criteria. Is the idea feasible? Does the idea excite us? Does it have 1 million view potential if you really want to go big? And then can we think of strong packaging? Strong packaging meaning the title of the video and the thumbnails. He he focused a lot on the title of not being focused on keywords, but on human interest, of coming up with sometimes even 45 multiple titles that he will brainstorm 
in order to create the best one. Same thing with thumbnails. This came up a lot. Um, Mr. B showed like a four by four matrix of thumbnails in order to find the best one of creating lots of thumbnails, A-B testing, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Patty also said, hey, you can study high performing con concepts. And he shows one of uh, just high performing thumbnails. Thumbnails that are uh, getting a lot of click through or thumbnails of really highly performing videos that are getting lots of views, right? So this is something any of us, in fact, if we're newbies, this can really help us. And he shows this example of, you know, when we look at thumbnails in YouTube of high-performing channels, assume that there is a lot of IP associated with those. It looks like one simple image, but there's also a lot of math in terms of clothing, angles, facial expressions, text, arrows, backgrounds. And this is something that uh, even, you know, wearing a hat backwards, having an open door, as I said, expressions. And he also showed how, you know, he himself creates like 20 thumbnail options, trying to find the one that's going to perform the best. And when something works well, you double down on it. There was uh, one guy who does very well with circles. So his most popular video was learning 24 skills in 24 hours. And there's a thumbnail of him drawing a circle. That video did so well that every other thumbnail involves him in a circle. And in fact, he recently did a, a video on VR. And so you see him like wearing an Oculus headset and he's drawing like a virtual circle. So when you find something, uh, uh, you know, double down on it. Another piece of advice we talked about innovation titles, thumbnails. He also said, spend a disproportionate amount of time on intros. This is similar to the YouTube shorts advice. The first few seconds is going to make or break your video. So he said, spend 30 to 40% of your time on crafting your first minute. Don't do these stupid intro screens. Get your first storyline in front of your audience ASAP. If it's a listicle, get to your first tip ASAP. The video should flow without any intro or without any outro for that matter. The story should be greater than the production value. It doesn't have to be fancy. Give the audience a why. Take them on a journey. And obviously... Always be thinking how to improve your next video. He also talked about this feedback loop where you want to be looking at your data, your, your analytics, and really how can we further improve the next video? Don't think about your competition. Your competition is yourself. So Patty's final note was post less and fine tune more. And there was another session. Now, a lot of YouTubers will post three to five times a week, but there were some that said, hey, you only need to post 50 videos a year. To me, that was enlightening and encouraging because that's sort of my podcast strategy as well, 50 episodes a year. And I hope to hit that this year as around 288. And my plan is to end the year at 299. So there you go. All right. Now we are finally at takeaway number five. So we went over monetization, YouTube sorts, the psychographics of your audience and the four C's. Uh, we went over sort of innovation, innovating ideas, titles, thumbnails, feedback loop. So this fifth one was actually from the main sponsor, one of the main sponsors of the event, TubeBuddy. Now, I highly encourage you to go to neilshafer.com slash TubeBuddy, one word. This is an affiliate link, T-U-B-E-B-U-D-D-Y. You can get a free trial and check them out. They're basically two leading tools in um, YouTube management. One is vidIQ. You can also go there for a free trial and compare neilshafer.com slash vidIQ, V-I-D-I-Q. 
Also, disclaimer, an affiliate link. And there's TubeBuddy. Now, TubeBuddy happened to be the sponsor of this event. And TubeBuddy, apparently, a few years ago was bought out by a group that also has a few other tools. It has a lot of money. And they are going big on AI. So if you remember from the content marketing world takeaways, one of them was all about AI. So it was really exciting to see what TubeBuddy is doing in terms of AI and really helping us up our game. So Ricky Ray Butler, an employee at TubeBuddy, was on stage. And this is by far one of the most fascinating presentations. And I guarantee you that I think everybody in that room probably went to TubeBuddy for a free trial after this presentation. So he first talked about, hey, this is not the creator economy. It's the era of the artist. And he also said, you know what? Only 1% of creators make over six figures. That's 2 million people. In other words, there are 2 million people on YouTube that he says are making six figures in the YouTube channel. TubeBuddy now has 11 million creators. And he started saying these are the tools that they are going to build for the creators. Now, this also goes into what I talked about with the content marketing world takeaways. He talked about Dali 2, which hopefully you remember from that episode, just episode number 286. Give it a listen again of, you know, this this avocado uh, chair. He gave the example of how through Dali 2, you can create uh, variations of a chair that is shaped like an avocado. Pretty impressive. Um, They are using Amazon recognition, which is a visual recognition AI tool to be able to understand, like with thumbnails, text, background color, facial expressions, object recognition, et cetera, et cetera. He also talked about multimodal AI, which is going to blow away this video AI, or I should say visual AI. Multimodal AI will give you the chance to create a video from text and be able to repurpose that video to different platforms. It is not there yet, but the thought is that this is the future and be on the lookout for that. Now, TubeBuddy currently already has 68 different tools. And he put the slide on the screen. Um, anywhere from, you know, auto translator, the different languages, bulk copy end screen, bulk thumbnail overlays, advanced video embed, bulk copy cards, bulk delete end screen, can responses. I can go on and on. I won't. But there is a lot of technology that TubeBuddy already has. I will say VidIQ also has a lot of tools as well. But he went to say, hey, we are adding these AI content creation tools on top. First of all, he said that they do have a browser extension that they're going to add A-B testing to. A-B testing with TubeBuddy in the future, he showed us a screen. They call it creating experiments. You'll be able to do A-B testing on your thumbnail, title, description, of your video, as well as tags. I think a lot of people use it for the thumbnail. They say that 21% of users that have used this have seen 150% growth in views, 30% have seen 200% growth in views. So something you definitely want to create out. Um, The AI-generated titles are coming in October. They found that, uh, I think right now, they mainly support the, uh, you can A-B test the titles, but now you'll be able to get AI-generated titles that they suggest. Um, they have already seen a 280% increase in clicks with AI-generated titles from the uh, content creators that they work with in beta. Analyze thumbnails with CTR heat maps. Optimize thumbnails with CTR predictions. Basically, looking at your thumbnail and predicting whether or not it's going to get a higher click-through rate than your current thumbnail. 
They've seen an increase of 5.58% in click-through rate and a 36% increase in watch time. These are really, really incredible AI tools. Obviously, there's a lot of other things that they have, but in terms of AI, they also are going to have a predict video retention tool. Predicting based on your past performance on their database and AI, how many viewers and how many retention or how much retention your video will get, which is pretty freaking cool. They also are going to be doing audience clusters, which is a data-driven way to look at those psychographics that uh, Daryl Eves talked about. So the idea is you want to look at audiences similar to yours with the highest CTR. So uh, if you can find audiences similar to yours that are consuming content from thumbnails that have a high CTR, you can find some great inspiration for your own thumbnails is the idea. And TubeBuddy plans to go above and beyond and really become the destination of the creator economy, allow you to use these tools on other social networks as well. You know, getting back to where the presentation started, the era of the artist, they believe that the combination of AI and data that TubeBuddy will be able to provide will empower artists to create art, create your videos at scale. So I'm really pumped, really excited, and I can't wait myself to dig into TubeBuddy. Once again, neilshafer.com slash TubeBuddy. All right, now we get into Nick Nimmin. Now, this is all about a system of processes to enable you to be successful. So his was all about, you know, how do you create systems and time for content planning and production, community management, business development, analysis, and last but certainly not least, your own well-being. He's really big on creating systems. He said, for instance, Monday, research ideas and thumbnail designs for a month's worth of content. Tuesday, do sponsor outreach. Wednesday, analyze, et cetera, et cetera. Track the right things, have goals that keep you focused, and batch process. This is something that you've probably heard with social media marketing and content creation. He also said, do not be derailed. Do not care about competitors. Do not care about your current performance other than trying to increase your performance. But stay with goals and systems and processes are what helps you avoiding getting derailed. He also, when talking about a YouTube content strategy, said it has to be publishing and ecosystem of content created and interlinked to achieve specific goals, to give your content a purpose. Think of how your content works together. I think that's really critical because that's the way the algorithm works. If they see one video, but they don't find another interesting video to watch, or you don't have similar videos of that, they're going to go elsewhere, right? So I thought this is really, you know, content should have a purpose, yes, but how does all your content work together? This is critical for the YouTube algorithm. He also said that there's lots of analytics. He showed a screen of uh, the different analytics that you can see within YouTube. There's dozens of categories. You don't need them all. You need views, watch time to get into the YouTube partner program, revenue to grow financially, new viewers for channel growth, returning viewers for community. And there's other goals outside of that lead sales. Stay focused only on the metrics that matter. He also said that YouTube Analytics has an advanced mode. And in the advanced mode, you can create groups. And you could create groups for different sets of videos. So let's say you want to compare your live stream videos with news segments with 
interviews, with funny movies that you've done. You can create groups of these multiple video category sets, and then you could see the metrics side by side. Really, really important as you ramp up on YouTube to understand what types of videos, what formats of videos are working, what aren't. Because one of the really, really strong takeaways from VidSummit was you need to have multiple formats in order to be successful. It's A-B testing at scale. Once again, if you do this, then you'll be able to find groups that help you get new viewers. And you might find that other groups help you get more watch time and views in order to be able to apply to the YouTube Partner Program. So... Other ways of looking at once you have these groups of your videos, you could look at obviously the content formats that do well, live versus video on demand, the traffic sources that each of the videos have for reach, the thumbnail layout for uh, CTR for click-through rate based on if you're doing thumbnails differently for each group of content, call to action structures and placements, video length, problems with discovery. So at the end, I know this is a lot, he said plan your content with a 30 to 90 day view Give each piece of content a purpose or goal and plug content into the schedule based on videos. Now, he said there's basically four different types of videos that you need. Now, if you remember from my content marketing world takeaways, Tim Schmoyer, and he was here, I didn't get to see his session, but he spoke about having three different types of videos. Nick spoke about having four different types. Community videos versus revenue generating videos versus uh, growth videos versus positioning videos versus lead gen videos. Okay, he had five different types. And really, you know, give each of these a color and color code them in your calendar, right? So what are your top three goals in 90 days? Build out a schedule and group and compare your content based on goals. So the community are probably going to be live stream. Revenue might be viewing time uh, in order to, par- in order to uh, get into the YouTube partner program. Growth might be those videos that can help you grow your channel. Um, Positioning can be more of unique perspectives on your niche or showing your subject matter expertise. Lead gen, you know, these might be uh, affiliate marketing videos that you do or uh, collaboration videos that you do to try to get even more collaborations, uh, just as examples. So the important thing here is, and I say this a lot about blog categories for SEO, you need to categorize your content. With YouTube, this might also be formats. You need to compare and see what's doing well for what purpose, and you need to have a purpose-driven content strategy. It's not just making random videos or using YouTube as just a place to archive all your videos, right? Which I think is what a lot of companies tend to do with YouTube. If you want to be serious about it, hopefully this advice from Nick made a lot of sense. All right, we are, well, we're not in the home stretch yet. We then had Eric. Eric is someone who started with um, less than a thousand followers. And I believe in two years, he has over a million followers. So he basically said, there's three stages to your YouTube growth. And maybe I'll just only go through the first stage because the first stage is zero to a million. And with zero and a million, you got to be passionate about making videos, right? And even if you're at a company, you need to have people at your company that are passionate about making videos. He said what? he did was, or what his secret sauce, everybody has secret sauce. Everybody has something that differentiates themselves. You know, what resources do you have that no one else has? The resource that Eric had that made him successful was that he was extremely resourceful, right? 
he didn't, it didn't even have like video cameras, but he was a photographer. So he had photographs. He, he actually shows what he had, right? He's single. He is an avid YouTube watcher. He had some cameras laying around the house. He had a skateboard. He lived in, I believe, Atlanta, lived in a big city. Um, and, um, he was just resourceful. So he would do things like riding a skateboard across California, or he found out that he lived near where Stranger Things was filmed. So he sneaked into the real Hawkins lab and did other things, uh, related to Stranger Things. He made a series about Logan Paul. He stayed on an island live streaming for a few days until he hit 1 million subscribers. So, um, he was resourceful with what he had and he basically said, there's no excuse you just need to find what you're resourceful at, what you're good at, what you have access to that no one else has. In many ways for businesses, this is product, this is expertise, this is experience. And he said, start with a commitment of 50 videos per year. All it takes is one video. And he shows how he went from nothing to something because one video gave him the momentum. So he says it's actually harder to go from zero subscribers to a thousand than to go from one to 10,000 or even 10 to a hundred thousand. There is a snowball effect, assuming that you continue to make videos based on your successes of the one video. And you need about 50 videos in order to find that one successful video. So, you know, as he was making these videos, he would say, well, what videos did the audience enjoy the most? What videos did I enjoy the most? What videos built the brand in a way that I want my brand to be built? What is the team I need to make this sustainable? And what videos can I create consistently? And by answering these questions, he was able to go above 1 million because 1 million was all about the format. And I'm going to talk about this with a different speaker. And then after that, getting to even a bigger audience is mastering the craft. And I, you know, I don't want to go into all the detail. I think the zero to one million is probably enough for ninety nine percent of uh, you know uh, of my listeners. But you know, I will say that he ended by this number of opportunity cost fifty five million dollars. I believe the opportunity cost of fifty five million dollars is the amount of money that YouTube is handing out to people based on ad revenue. So. He said, on YouTube, the most expensive thing you can possibly do is not upload videos. The opportunity cost is too large. Okay, here it is. He said, Mr. Beast made $55 million last year. So it is costing you and me $55 million when we don't upload because we miss out on that opportunity cost. He also gave a little bit of advice that he has a strategy of one short for every two long-form videos. He doesn't want to overload on shorts. It's hard to build an engaged audience with shorts because they're flipping from one short to the other. So that was really good advice. And um, yeah, create 50 videos a year. Get your reps in. He also said he'll spend four or five days creating one thumbnail. He normally creates five thumbnails and will put them in priority order. Start with one. If it doesn't hit a certain click-through rate after a certain amount of time, he will go to the second. So Really good tactical and actionable advice. I think, you know, at this point, you can understand that there is a lot of, there's a lot of depth that goes in this, a lot of analytics, a lot of really, really smart people that have done really, really well on YouTube that have just been really open and sharing their success with us. All right. So I mentioned some metrics here and there. There was a panel on data analytics, content creators talking about 
what is the most important thing for their channel in terms of the data? What should you analyze? You know, focus on where people fall off. So YouTube will provide you this information. He said, especially for shorts, it's really impactful to understand where people are falling off. And that can help you often find how to improve your videos. When you look at your demographics, the largest population on YouTube is 18 to 34. So see how they engage with your content. Obviously, you need a high click-through rate. Uh, how many shares did you get in your first 24 hours is, uh, you know, how many views did you get? A lot of, there's some people that stress the first 24 hours. I think for shorts, for long form video, maybe not as important. One of the people on the panel said they had an old video from six years ago that had a thousand views. And then recently they saw that it was now at 300,000. So that's YouTube is this evergreen content has legs and at any point it can blow up. So see it all as a test. It is completely okay to go back, change the title, change the description, change the thumbnail, change the tags. TubeBuddy gives you the tool to do that, to A-B test. You can actually delete a video, take out the best part and repost. So a little bit different with SEO and Google, you can republish blog content. You can't republish the YouTube video, but you can delete it and then repost it as a new video, taking out the best part, which I thought was really interesting advice. If you are doing uh, stories, you can take high-performing Instagram stories and make shorts and TikToks about it. But the most important metric, especially when it came to shorts, but with the emergence of TikTok and what have you, average view duration. So because of the way that TikTok works, are people sticking around for 100% of your video or not, right, Uh, is going to be really, really important. And one of the panelists said vis-a-vis thumbnails, they have five different designers working on five different YouTube thumbnails for one video and swapping them out to find high click-through rates. So don't be afraid to try new things. It's okay to be inspired by your competitors. The final note was perfect as boring. Being the authentic you and being yourself is the most important thing to do. And I'm going to bring that up again with another speaker. As you can see, every one of these sessions was really gold. And uh, my process here is really, these are the notes that I took that I'm going into that I tried to only take notes that I thought were impactful. And by me creating this video, it helps me re-summarize in my mind what are the important points to go forward on. All right. Next, we had Dar Mann, who has done D-H-A-R-M-A-N-N. And one of his slides, vis-a-vis perfect is boring. He had a quote, perfection is the enemy of progress. Might have been Orson Welles, not sure. He has a picture of a guy who sort of looks like Orson Welles. But... You don't need to be perfect is the key thing. Also, don't be afraid to experiment. He talks about how he had these two videos that did really really well. They got like, you know, a million views, 200,000 views. Um, Stop doubting yourself to your abilities. Let's see what this one was. Before deciding to give up on all your goals was another one. And then he created one with a different color thumbnail with kids make fun of boy with autism. This video ended up getting 56 million views. Um, basically, you know, 40 to 50 x all of his previous videos from an experiment that he did of a different type of video, different color thumbnail, what have you. Um, he also experiments with having his content in different languages. And I'm going to talk about the globalization of content at the very end. But he also talked about scaling. So where um, Nick Nimmin talked about processes. Dar talked about scalability 
and removing yourself from the processes. Basically, the scale focused on the two Ps, peoples and process. So he showed a chart of his organization, started with him alone. Now he has like 100 different people, right? Um, and the most successful YouTube channels have pulled themselves out of a lot of the content creation, right? And if you're a business, obviously, you want to focus on your business and you want to hire out as well. He brought up the same um, hierarchy of needs that Daryl Eves brought up to talk about retaining longer-term talent to make them a part of your organization. And um, he gave a, a quote from um, Steve Jobs when he went out to hire the then CEO Pepsi. He said, do you want to sell sugar water all your life or do you want to come with me and change the world? So having a company mission statement, uh, I'm actually going to be speaking on employer branding. And this is another, you know, how do you build a culture with a mission statement and values to really rally all of your troops? And then, you know, he showed what was his production workflow. So in video, it's ideation to pre-production, to production, to post-production. He showed 20 different things that he did uh, as part of a production workflow. If you were curious, as you might be, ideation went from idea to outline, rough script, final script, script breakdown. YouTubers are scripting out their content, right? Pre-production was scheduling, casting, if they needed to hire outside people, locations, studios, right? Props, set, set deck, hmm deciding on where to have your set or deciding on the final set. Okay, production, the crew, the equipment, makeup, wardrobe, prep, actually shooting, and then post-production, first edit, color, music, visual effects, final video. That's 20 different things. And basically, eliminate yourself from every task possible without sacrificing quality. Today, of those 20 things, he only focuses on four things. The ideation, the very beginning, the idea, the outline, the rough script, and then the very end, the final video. So basically said, choose the best areas for you to focus your time and outsource the rest. Said Steve Jobs focused on marketing, Zuckerberg focused on code, Buffett focused on investments, Musk focused on product. As a CEO, you have to be involved in everything, but focus your energy on your strengths. As a creator, the more you can focus on ideas, the better. So for him, he spends about four hours in a video, one hour of ideating, outlining, two hours editing the script, a half an hour working on the thumbnail, half an hour final review. And um, he says the number's adjusting, but he's trying to spend more time on the ideation outline that seems to pay off better getting it right up front. So just some ideas as you want to scale and hire experts as you should. These are the things that you want to think about. All right. Four more to go. Hope you're enjoying this. This is going to be another podcast episode. This actually may outstrip my content marketing world takeaways as the longest podcast. Uh, maybe I had to press pause uh, a few times, but we're going to keep going here. And by the way, yes, I am actually recording this nonstop. Believe it or not, it is nonstop. All right, I'm going to keep going. I should do a live stream one of these if you don't believe me. I'm going to take a sip of coffee if you don't believe me because my throat's starting to get a little dry here. All right. So there are actually two YouTube employees that spoke, Renee Ritchie and David Rosenstein, on YouTube Shorts monetization. So YouTube, over the last week, announced several new things. They announced a lower tier for the YouTube Partner Program, a non-monetization tier that gives you some community benefits and some other benefits, uh, even if you haven't monetized yet, which some of them which I have access to. They have a new YouTube Partner Program for Shorts. You still need 1,000 subscribers 
And now instead of 40,000 hours over 365 days, it's 10 million viewers over 90 days. They now have Shorts Library Music, and they are going to be introducing creator music for long-form video for RevShare. So you're going to be able to go into a creator music store and actually purchase famous music from famous record labels that you can use in your videos, which is really, really cool. So uh, I'm not going to go into all of this, but they did say that when it comes to YouTube Shorts, it is incredibly important for discoverability. And therefore, they want to see us do both long form and short form in the same channel. And YouTube is going to be making changes into how your channel looks to have a more integrated experience of long and short form. But if your audience for your short form is completely different than for your long form, it's okay to create a channel just devoted or dedicated on shorts. You also said that shorts are a great way to test the ideas. And they were really passionate that shorts almost feel like feels like the beginning of YouTube again for them. They also wanted to remind you, this is a great quote, the algorithm is the audience. Please satisfy your audience and it will satisfy the algorithm. And their final quote, YouTube only succeeds when its users succeed. This is something when I went to Facebook, uh, I realized, believe it or not, they are a user first uh, social network. How well they've delivered on that's another story, but I think YouTube has really been delivering on that and really... Um, you know, inviting and, and giving creators opportunities that other social networks have not. All right, three more to go. And these might've been the best. Yeah. So we get to John Yoshe. He has worked both at YouTube and Instagram. He talked about creating your flywheel. And the flywheel concept is basically Disney, right? Disney started with basically short videos in front of movies back in the heydays. It went into movies you went into TV with a channel, then it has Disney Plus, it has Disney Music, it has merchandise and licensing, they have a creative talent studio, theatrical films, you have Disneyland, Disney World, they have publications, which is Walt Disney Magazine, comic strips, I mean, and all of this sort of feeds on each other, right? When you do one or you consume one or engage with one, it builds up your interest in engaging with the other parts, so he was encouraging us as content creators, once again, that this was more of a content creator-focused presentation, although there are takeaways for businesses as well, that create content, and when you create content, there's opportunities to monetize that. As you get more money, you build a team, expand the company, you build momentum, and the opportunities increase as the momentum builds. It's this flywheel concept. So the very beginning of this presentation, I talked about the different monetization or this very beginning of the episode, I talked about the different monetization opportunities. He said, as you grow, your revenue opportunities expand as well. I have seen this as a solopreneur being very active in social, uh, ad revenue, additional content channels, which give you additional ad revenue, brand deals, influencer marketing, merch, events like speaking, um, but it can also be other types of events. Consumer products, this is Mr. Beast with his Beast Burger. Subscription revenue, uh, both on YouTube as well as with membership sites. Books and true speaking events. Music and licensing fees, if that's what you do. And even agency management, uh, being able to manage others. So 
you know, he gave the example of Mr. Beast. And when you create a consumer product like a Beast Burger, then people start to talk about the Mr. Beast restaurant. People start to publish content about that. You can see how that accelerates the brand awareness of not just his product, but also him. And he can now create content on his YouTube channel that he can monetize, but also promote the Mr. Beast burger. So you can see how it sort of lends, uh, you know, how it lends on each other. So John also went into talking about how he, back in September of 2021, um, had 172 followers on TikTok. He was already verified on Instagram with 37,000 followers, and he already had 10,000 subscribers in his YouTube. But in a year, he's gone from 10,000 to 66,000 subscribers on YouTube. He's gone from 172 followers on TikTok to 67,000 followers. And on Instagram, he's only, he, he hasn't even doubled. He's only at 64,000. So in a year, you can have massive growth. The key to massive growth is actually the content, but there's more to it than just that. So um, he shows how really he's seen his growth over the last two months. And when growth comes in these channels, the last two months, he's had 1.7 million views per day across all these different channels, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat. He actually has an approved show there called Created. And he is a LinkedIn top voice for the creator economy. But this is really the, the big takeaway from his presentation that I think has really, can be really impactful if you can pull this off. Might be easier for a person than a business to do this, but I believe businesses can and should do this. So he brought up the case study of James Corden, who is a British comedian, late night show talk host versus, versus Stephen Colbert, who is similar, American, well-established. Uh, James Corden in the American market and on YouTube was someone who joined later. And John played a interview that Corden had with Howard Stern. And he said, anybody can do a talk show, referring to Colbert, I do a variety show. And this was the takeaway, and I'm going to go into further depth on this. Colbert is a talk show which relies on few formats and is filmed in the same place. Corden is a variety show. He experiments with many formats and he films in different places. So if you were to analyze what Colbert does, you go to his YouTube channel. This is how John analyzed it. It's everything is shot in the same place. He has monologues. He has desk bits. He has interviews. He has musical acts. And it's a repetition of these four formats. But if you were to look at what James Corden does on his channel, you'll notice that he does carpool karaoke. He does spill your guts, crosswalk musicals, drop the mic, riff off, flinch, face your mother. And the key here is that the more formats you have, the more hooks there are for different people that resonate with different content. And ultimately, the more watch time you're going to get and you're going to feed the audience, which feeds the algorithm, right? So once again, he showed his own stats where he started with a talk show format. And when he went, this is John Yoshe, to a variety show format, that was the tipping point. That is when he saw this incredible growth. So he said, create content like Corden, not Colbert, and basically answer this question. What would a variety show about, insert your niche here, look like? He also said that you can easily repurpose these in 
classic formats and in new formats. So what he ended up doing was creators versus celebrities like going out on the street and saying, hey, uh, which of these two people are famous? And people saying that Logan Paul was way more famous than a famous actor like Bill Murray. He would do creator office hours. I think these are responding to comments on his TikTok. He would do creator tutorials. He did one on how to, how to clone yourself, which is really, really cool. And all of these did tremendously well. The clone yourself tutorial only had 30,000 views. But when he did the creators versus celebrities, it had 11 million views. So that told him he should double down on that. So he now, similar to Corden, he has his creators versus celebrities, creator office hours, creator stories, creator interviews. Who's that creator tutorials? Now he's going to do two new formats. One is creator versus brand. The other is draw your income. So he was saying you need to put a ton of stuff out there in a variety of formats to try to figure out which can work. He also talked about that TubeBuddy presentation that Creator Economy 2.0 is coming. There will be predictive analytics that will help predict audience retention before hitting the publish button. So it will get easier, but trust the process. Some formats will work, others will bomb, and that's okay. Finally, similar to Nick Nimmin, he also talked about the process of batch production. He challenged you to say, can you film at least three shorts in one hour? Not the ideation and the script creation, but the actual filming. That's what you need to do. And he gave some ideas. Turn a stat into a story, right? Have a dialogue, not a monologue. And you don't need to change up the format. Once you get it down, make minor, not major changes to what you do. Or I should say, make minor, not major changes, not just to what you do, but innovate on what is already out there. Not making major changes, right? But minor changes. How do you involve the subscriber, right? That is the dialogue, not monologue. Thought that was excellent. So marry a niche, but vary your format. He also said you can compile short forms and outtakes and create long form content out of them. He also said, look, you're not too late. It's not too crowded. And he finally said, for the creator economy, the three key tools that every one of us needs, number one is TubeBuddy. Number two is Fiverr. I'm a big fan of Fiverr as well. Go to neilshafer.com slash F-I-V-E-R-R for a special deal there. And then Stir, which I believe is an influencer platform, which is for YouTube creators, which matches them with brands and which matches YouTube creators with each other. That's S-T-I-R. So there you go. That was really, really powerful. Uh, John, I thank you for those. And I hope that you make use of what he was able to do. Or I should say, make use of what he was able to teach us. Sorry. Uh, when you talk for an hour, you start to uh, start, your mind starts to veer off a little. But hey, hang in there. Two more presentations to go. And once again, incredible content here. Then we had Nee Nimmin and Daniel Batal. These are two YouTube experts that came together for a really, really impactful and probably the most tactical and actionable session. So, and they delivered on their promise, just like a YouTube video. First slide was what you will learn. Specific strategies to influence viewers in a way that will trigger YouTube to show your videos to more people. That may sound impossible, but hear me out. That's exactly what they taught us and what I'm going to share with you, what they taught me. They started with saying, hey, you need a storefront. They talked about stores like Bed Bath & Beyond. They spend a lot on trying to decide how they want their storefront to look and feel 
to invite people in. Every YouTube channel has a storefront. A good storefront can improve user experience and improve the algorithm. So your storefront should have a value proposition that's easy to understand. Why should they watch your video compared to others? And in fact, they repeated that the vast majority of YouTube views don't come from search. They come from recommendations like browse, what you see in the homepage. You're competing against, you know, seven or 11 other videos that are doing really well that have thousands, if not millions of views based on your thumbnail and your title. That is what you need to do better on. So your video must speak to your value proposition. What is your video about? Who's your target audience? Why should they watch? And really this begins with the image that you put at the very top of your channel. So remove things that distract from your value proposition, like Twitter icons. They showed um, an example of someone else. Uh, I won't, I won't, you know, go into the name of, of that channel, but it was not doing very well because it was very confusing. So remove things that distract from your proposition, your value proposition, that is. The channel name should guide you in what it's about. The channel art should tell you what everything is about. So they showed an example of, hey, here's a channel we created called 20-Minute Meals. And then the art at the top, the cover art, 20-Minute Meals, fast and easy recipes for everyone. Sounds awesome, right? Really clear as to what the channel's about, who's it for, and why you should watch. So the next thing is at the very top, there's featured content. And hopefully you know this, but in your featured content, you can edit this right within YouTube. You can have different content for new people than versus people that are already subscribed. So give people that already subscribed maybe a your newest video. Maybe they haven't seen it yet. And then for those not subscribed, go into your analytics past 90 days and choose a high conversion metric, whether it's most watch time, uh, most that convert to new subscribers, and put that video up there. And then for your current subscribers, change that video every time you upload a new video. So this made a lot of sense, but it really the gold is what they talked about here, okay? At the very beginning of your channel, you normally show uploads. And they say, let's replace uploads with a custom playlist. Now, it's the playlist that gets suggested through search and browse. So treat a playlist, treat playlist titles like you do video titles. So they created this playlist that they're going to put at the very top, should you scroll down, quick and delicious chicken dinner recipes. They decided that these were their most successful videos were about chicken. And they described it by saying, looking for fast and easy 20-minute chicken recipes that anyone can make, start here. Once again, clear title, clear description. Now, they found that one change in one video tripled the views of it. By And they did this by creating a playlist and moving that video to the first position of the playlist on the top page. Now, they also had a really funny comment, which is don't be an asshole. Um, this is a G-rated podcast. Don't be an asshole, meaning don't ask the people to do too many things. Only ask people to watch the next video. You want to keep people on. You want to feed the, feed the audience, which feeds the algorithm, right? Or please the audience, which pleases the algorithm. So you want to get people to watch as much of that first video as possible. You want, to get, you want them to get them to watch as much as any video as possible. So maybe that first video is going to be the one where you have the highest retention, right? Now, next, you want to start a daisy chain. 
So you want to get them to watch the next video, but even if they don't go through the playlist, you basically want to link to the next video. There are four places where you can link or ask people to watch another video, and you now want to go into in descending order in terms of retention time or whatever metric you want to use for this custom playlist. You can put a card in saying, hey, next up, watch this. They said that YouTube recommends you put it at around 80% near the end, so you don't want to put it in too soon. You can put multiple videos at an end screen. They recommend just putting the one video there that you want them to watch. This is going to be the same video. You can put a link in description. YouTube says one form of suggested traffic comes from links in video description. Put it at the top that you want them to watch this next video. And then you can create a comment, right, with a link to the next video and pin it to the top. And if you do this in all four areas, you are going to increase the chances that people watch the next video. So they said, find videos that perform best in the most recent 90 days. I'll repeat this, put it in the number one position and then put in order videos and popularity into sending videos. Now go to the second link and put it in all four places of your first video. Then do the same with the third link, put it in your second video, do this in every video in every playlist. Doing this will influence what videos are seen on the sidebar at the end of the screen and your playlist now becomes a view funnel. And this is the strategy that they used that has been very, very impactful. So be intentional and strategic in order to funnel the viewer in a very specific direction and send actionable traffic data back to YouTube. That was a real brilliant presentation. And if there's any actionable tactical takeaways from VidSummit and from this uh, podcast episode, I'm thinking it's that one among many, but that that to me was was the the golden one. So we're on the 11th, and this is actually the closing keynote. Uh, Ayal Baumel, who talked about content globalization and trend watching, and he said, "Hey, what's in common for the biggest show or creator on Netflix, YouTube, and TikTok?" And one thing I will say about Vid Summit was it went beyond YouTube, it went beyond TikTok, it went into like Hollywood and Disney and Netflix. So a lot of people said Mr. Beast, but there's actually a lot of channels. When you put uh, their their separate channels in different languages and you know different themes all together, that the two most popular YouTubers are actually under ten years old. One is called, I believe she's from Ukraine, Kids Diana Show, and the second I believe is from Russia, like Nastia, and they uh, they together with Indian media companies, as in from India, forty percent of top channels are kids content. 40% of top channels are Indian media com- companies. And I believe the other 20% are YouTube creators like Mr. Beast. But the thing is the top channels are non-native English speaking people. And he showed with Netflix at Squid Games made him from Korea. From YouTube, it is, uh, well, I think it might've been like Nastia from Russia. Might be Ukraine, I'm sorry. Um, but definitely from overseas, number one on YouTube. And then on TikTok, guess what? It's Kabi, K-H-A-B-Y, from Senegal. So all the top channels are non-native English-speaking people. If you want your videos to do well on YouTube, you need to tap into globalization. So Ayo then went to uh, say he is the president at Yula, Y-O-O-L-A. It's a network of 4,000 channels that generate 15 billion monthly views. The guy knows what he's talking about, obviously. So... In order to capitalize on what he's talking about, you want to create content with a low language and culture barrier. 
He says this is one of the reasons behind Mr. Beast's success. Uh, Mr. Beast himself said, you know, he got a thank you note from someone like overseas in India or Pakistan. Say, Mr. Beast, thank you. I actually learned how to speak English from your videos. That shows the low language and culture barrier that his videos have. He also said there's only 16 countries with 100 plus million people, but you want to focus on those of the high RPM if you're looking for monetization. And those two countries are the United States and Japan. If you can make it big in the United States and Japan alone, that is going to be great from a monetization perspective. He went on the show, you know, if you're in Russia, he has one channel in Russia that has 521 million views and over the course of a year, and it made $85,000. He then showed a channel, an English channel that had one-tenth the number of views, 59 million, that in the course of a year made $50,000. So you can see that this uh, revenue per minute or, or per video viewed is when you work in a country or when the video is seen in a country with high income, that is going to generally mean higher ad revenue for you. He talked about the top model, trends, algorithm, policies. Okay. Says the new gatekeepers of YouTube, that the best creators understand the art, which is the creatives and the trends and the science, which is the algorithm. And the policies is the YouTube gatekeeper. He went on to say, you know, prank videos used to be really popular. Back in 2016, they disappeared because advertisers complained. We never know where YouTube's policies are going to go. YouTube Shorts is a current YouTube policy as well. That's pushing that to more people. But this is where he said, you got to go in the trenches. If you want to make money, go to school and learn. But don't go to Harvard University. Go to the YouTube trenches. Go deep into why some of these channels are doing so well. He brought up a few different channels. He brought up Dona, uh, which is a Korean channel with 28 million subscribers of two women that eat colorful foods. Okay. I know it sounds really random, but there's something we can learn from that. He then went into Small, which is a YouTube shorts channel, um, which uh, S-M-O-L, you'll have to check that one out. And then he went into the uh, Slivik show, um, which is a cat from Ukraine, I believe, which has 20 million subscribers. Well, why are people subscribing to a cat? This is studying in the trenches that's going to lead you to understand more about the art and science of YouTube. He also said, and he quoted himself from an article, he was quoted in Bloomberg, that YouTube Shorts is the biggest opportunity for YouTube creators or YouTube wannabes in the past five years. I've worked with YouTube for eight years. I've never seen them so eager to promote a new product. Get into YouTube Shorts. Even if you haven't been doing YouTube long form videos, you can start with Shorts. He also echoed what others had said. Audience retention is by far the most important metric going forward. Your goal for your short should be 100% for long form video, 55%, which is very high. But, you know, with shorts, it's all about creating videos that others would want to watch again. Now, he ended by talking about the trends, the macro trends. He believes that YouTube is the largest reality show ever. Um, even on TV, you know, American Idol, Bachelor Party, uh, cooking shows. He talked about the Dude Perfect franchise that just everyday reality can be huge. Everyday reality might just be a low cultural barrier as well. So that's a trend. He went on to say, you know, since MTV aired The Real World in 1992, young people living together while being filmed nonstop was always a cultural phenomenon. The format evolved into competition shows. 
like Big Brother, Survivor, American Idol, The Bachelor, and many other successful franchises. This is one macro trend of many that you can consider tapping into. So yeah, I was really blown away being my first Vid Summit. I already bought tickets for next year, which is going to be in October of 2023 in Dallas. I hope you'll join me. And I I feel really inspired to challenge myself, not just to be able to be monetized by then. I already have a thousand subscribers, but I'm, you know, I'm going to have to do a lot to get to that 4,000 hours of watch time, or is it 40,000? I always confuse the two. Anyway, I think you get the picture, but I really want to challenge myself, do more. I have some other things on my plate I need to clean up before I can get to my videos, but I was really, uh, really inspired in noting that US and Japan are the two highest in terms of RPMs for video ads. It inspired me to create another channel for the uh, for my Japanese content and even another channel for this podcast. Uh, that's going to be the subject of a completely other episode of why I am putting this podcast on YouTube. How am I doing it? Why am I doing it? And what are going to be the results? Can't wait to share those with you. I've already seen one podcast that I listen to do this and have really great results. So, hey, um, man, this is a really long video. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did not enjoy this, let me know. If you did enjoy it, let me know. I All I'm asking for here, my one ask for this episode is just your feedback. Um, but like I said, this episode to me is utilitarian. It allows me to go through all of my photos of screenshots from my iPhone together with all the notes I took on Notion and just piece it all together to try to create my own little internal blog post, which I'm turning into a podcast, which you will not find anywhere else. So hope you enjoyed it. As always, you know, thank you for your subscriptions, reviews. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you've made it all the way here. I think you know what I'm about and you got a fuel for my perspective. I like to go deep, but I actually like to go actionable and tactical as well. Half of these podcast episodes are solo, half are interview. Next week, I'll be back with an interview. Until then, this is your digital marketing coach, Neil Schaefer, reminding you to be an option. Be an option for your community, for your potential users for your current customers. And I will see you on the next episode. Neil Schaefer, signing off. You've been listening to Your Digital Marketing Coach. Questions, comments, requests, links? Go to podcast.neilschaefer.com. Get the show notes to this and 200 plus podcast episodes and neilschaefer.com to tap into the 400 plus blog posts that Neil has published to support your business. While you're there, check out Neil's digital first group coaching membership community if you or your business needs a little helping hand. See you next time on Your Digital Marketing Coach.